Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. My guest today is someone I've been trying to get on the podcast for a while. Elias Felfoul is an old friend and former colleague who quickly climbed the ranks in Quebec politics. And while he was at what some may describe as his peak, he decided to completely turn the page and seek new horizons that have brought him to all corners of the world. He is the Director of Policy Development and Partnerships at WISE, and he spends quite a bit of time researching, promoting, and exposing new ways of educating our future generations. On this episode, we talk about his days in Quebec City, the decision to leave it all behind, as well as all the work he's done with WISE. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. I really, really appreciate it, man. Uh, it's good to see you. It's a pleasure to reconnect, mate. You're, yeah. you're doing fantastic to bring back the uh, the has-been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, you know, it's great that uh, that we're on this kind of platform thing because we were supposed to do this like two years ago and stuff. I think you were traveling in Montreal. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll go through the details of what you're doing because I, I really I, I really like it. It's very interesting, and I've had many episodes, uh, even on this and on my other podcast with the dads about education. We talk about yeah. that a lot, uh, and uh, so I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing. But yeah, we were supposed to do this in person uh, two years ago. Uh, you were too busy, so finally we couldn't uh, we couldn't arrange. And then our lives. I'm, I'm sorry for that. I I know we we should have met in person, but oh, usually. Look, you were, it's, not, it's not like you were here on vacation, man. You were here for work. Yeah, when, when, I, when I come to Montreal, I usually, uh, I usually have two, three partnerships with different platforms. And I usually bring with me uh, usually my boss and my, my team. So it, it's like... Yeah, it's, I know. I, you're all over yeah. the place. And you did try to arrange some stuff at the, uh, at the hotel there where you were staying. Finally, it didn't work. It doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, so I mean, our lives completely changed. Everyone went into this online platform stuff so i thought look let's just um let's just zoom and uh we'll do that i mean I, that's what i've been doing for the last two years anyway um but it's good to see you man it's uh it's really nice to see you same here so right now right now you're telling me before we uh before we start recording you're back uh in tunisia uh, so yeah i'm, I'm uh, i usually spend uh, a bit of uh time of my vacation in, in tunis so tunisia is my home country i was born in tunis I was born in Tunisia. My family moved to Canada when uh, I was 12 in 1995. So in a way, um, we never really lost or cut connection with the country uh, when my ma when my parents immigrated to Canada. And that was a good thing in a way because um, it, it, it's, it gave me that super uh, amazing kind of uh, horizon on on a, on a beautiful kind of, you know, civilization. So I, I kind of understand how the Western world world has, as well. I, I kind of understand all the challenges coming from the Arab world. So I, I and I've used it a lot in, in, in the work I do now. So, so yeah, it, it's good to be back here and the country has been through a lot the last 10 years. So yeah. yeah. How are things? How are things? There was a, there was a pretty, uh, popular kind of uprising that inspired uh, even uh, some uh, students over here back in 2012-13, uh, I remember, uh, 2011-12. Yeah. Uh, it started in 2011, 10 years ago. Right. And uh, over 10 years, I don't want to go in too much details here because it's going to take us an episode. Sure. But basically, over 10 years, I think a lot happened. Uh, and I think the acceleration of technology and communication made things even faster. Right. Uh, Whatever they lived Tunisia of the past uh, 10 years is, is like in a normal history is 40 or 50 years. Right. They had, I think, 10 government. They had um, the liberal and then the Islamist taken over and then back to this uh, secular. So it, it, it has been a really nice kind of uh, development. Uh, so the country is is uh, it, it has a lot of potential. There's a beautiful youth population. The civil society is super engaged. Women are uh, very much, and I think what saved the country is really women. Tunisian women are liberated, educated, you know, very much uh, up to speed. And and I think you know they kind of were there. Uh, 
put the stop when when things went wrong. And um, so to, to to just summarize, things are fine at a you know generally speaking. I think economically they're suffering a lot because they depend a lot on Europe. And if you know Europe is not doing well, so automatically we feel it with the inflation and so yeah. on. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a new world order that is that is becoming um, especially defined by the, by this pandemic. I don't think right now the government is 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 well positioned to to you know to manage these challenges. But let's let's uh, wait and see. There's there's surprises that always comes from from Tunis. Uh, right. we, we've been we've been quite surprised by by many decisions, and I'm um, I'm only hopeful because of the because of the young uh, population in, in this place. So nice, very good, very good. Let, let's just go back um, because we met in politics. Uh, I remember starting in 2007. You had already been in place when I started. You had already. Uh, uh, you know, uh, made your uh, your place. Uh, you were involved at the party level, and then I think when I came in, you were already working for a minister. Um, and then, uh, and I, obviously, that it was you know it was a great time, and you know we used to hang out a lot because of common friends and stuff, and it was really nice. Um, just for me, who was starting in 2007, to be welcomed by a group of people like that that were so energetic and, you know, uh, these young visionaries, they were involved in everything and all aspects of the political life. Um, and then you made this decision, which maybe that was in your nature. I mean, you told me that you, you were used to traveling and stuff, but for me, it was like, where is he going? Because in my head, it's like you have a, well, I mean, there's no such thing as a stable job in politics, but it was a great job. You're working in a, you know, for a cabinet minister up in Quebec city. And then you just decided I'm turning the page, man, I'm leaving. And I remember seeing you went somewhere in Southeast Asia you you perfected your English, uh, and, and then it's like this whole new chapter that started like thousands of miles away. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, if 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 I start with the beginning in politics, I think we you don't go to politics at 18 years old if it's not kind of an inside calling or a passion to yeah. to. So in my case, if I for the podcast, I was thinking, okay, I'm sure you're going to ask me about the beginning in politics. So I, I was thinking, why did I really go there? <laughs> no one in my family, my, my two brothers are engineers from, you know, University of Sherbrooke, super like, you know, traditional kind of path for immigrants, you know, yeah. engineering, PhD, MBA, you know, that kind of class. Yeah, and yeah. I went, I went to Relation Internationale and I did, I did something completely different from anyone in my family. So, I think it's a calling, and I one thing that I've always loved. I've always loved people, that, 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 and it's still I'm a very social person. So it started there. I think when I when I analyze why I did stop, I stopped it because I think I wasn't doing it at that time for the right reasons. Right. The right reasons are should be the 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 need to change things the impact you want i wasn't driven by that and that's why i said okay you know what what a stop to what you do in politics and maybe you'll come back one day right. but but that journey was fantastic for me i mean i i started putting putting working for the part doing benevola for the party at 18 years old right. at at uh, at 20 years old i became friend with the former minister jacques dupuis because I, I I grew up in uh, Ville Saint Laurent, so it was in uh, his. Uh, it's in his just. Uh, yeah, uh, in his writing. Yeah. And uh, so, so in a way, it it came naturally. You know, I I didn't force it. That I I never wanted a job. I was doing it because I just love that process. And I, you know, I was I was vice president des jeunes libéraux. Huh? Yeah. Uh, uh, before going into the cabinet and. And I had to make a choice between should I run for the presidency or or I get the the job. And it was it was even at the level of commission jeunesse, it was even hard, man. <laughs> yeah, the, the the games, the the the, yeah. the small games actually. And so I kind of switched to say, okay, you know what? Let's have a professional now experience right. rather than stay in and in the commission. Those three years in the cabinet was ex extremely formative. I mean, I, 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 I don't think I would have been successful today 
without those formative years in the cabinet. Right. Regardless, man, you work in a for a minister cabinet, you learn a lot. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's nonstop. Eh? It's nonstop. It's nonstop. It's nonstop. Yeah, you you learn a lot. You learn first of all, you learn how your minister works. You you need you need to understand what kind of dossier he navigate uh, the, the relationship with the prime minister office the relationship with uh, this is at a, at a minister who you know jacques was quite influential back then sure absolutely he was yeah. a normal minister yeah, he was yeah, number yeah. two super influential uh he was doing in a way the dirty job of Charest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 no, no he was he was a very highly ranked uh minister uh i think he was a uh, public safety and ju- and justice he had both Um, and you would think that in, in terms of rank, like it doesn't really fall much because you, you think finance, uh, you think education, health, uh, yeah. these guys are the big guys, you know, that have the biggest, uh, cabinets because they drain most of the budget. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then comes Jacques Dupuis who, yes, he had like these secondary kind of cabinets, but in terms of importance, he was a very, very influential, uh, minister. Because he was the leader of the government, but he was right. also the vice prime minister. So he, right. these two portfolios got him quite, quite close to PMO. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that's maybe the reason, uh, So yeah, th- these were good years, mate. I, I kind of enjoyed that experience in public uh, life. It wasn't a good life, though. I, ha- I have to admit that, you know, 23 years old, cabinet, you start at 6 a.m., you finish at 11 p.m. It's not a good life, man. You yeah. you basically, you <laughs> you commute between Montreal and and and, uh, and uh, Quebec City. You know, you spend Monday in Montreal, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, you have to be in Quebec. It, it, it just, it, it, I kind of enjoyed it at the moment because, again, for the wrong reason, 23 years old, you're in a minister, you're only looking at the perception of things. You're not looking at the, at the substance of things. Right. So back then, I thought I was happy. You know, it's impressive. 23, I worked for a minister. Yeah, yeah. First generation of immigrant. You, you know, I, 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 I was playing too much the card of, You know, you should be proud of me. You should, exactly. That, that, yeah. And that was all wrong, by the way. When when I kind of I drained myself because it was the wrong reasons. Right, right, right. So what clicked? What was it that told you I I I need to do something different now? I think it played in my mind over a year, but I was I can do much more. Yeah, I can do much more. 26 years old, I did not speak a, a single word in English. I was okay. We live in a beautiful country, Canada. I don't speak the 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 one of the second main language. There's an issue. There's a problem. I dream of this international kind of life journey, and I don't speak English. Yeah. And I was like, there's something wrong. So it started with that, really. Uh, and and then I I I I don't know it's an it's an instinct right there's there's a bit of instinct there's a bit of kind of you 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 you're listening to your guts and you're 26 yes you're doing as you started the podcast I was I was man doing doing not bad I mean and Jack we I had an amazing relationship with Jack I mean what gave me what gave me problem back then by the way in any meeting where Jack used to go and bring me, he used to say, this is the future deputy of Saint Laurent. Yeah. That yeah. Buddy, that only created problems for me. <laughs> <Tell you. laughs> that, that only create enemies for me. Yeah. 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 And I was a bit naive and yeah, yeah. The, the whole package of I'm the next in line, the minister, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, but it's not the minister decision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a lot of <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of prayer decision. Yeah, yeah. And that pressure started honestly to play uh the pressure when I see the animosity of some people, when I saw the, the sheaf of stuff was not the, the trust uh, I lo- got lost. I was okay, maybe there's something else for me. Yeah. Maybe politics, uh you know, it, 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 the at least high-level politics is not immediate for me. And I started believing that a leader should be global. A leader should understand what's happening in China. A leader should understand what's happening in Russia. A leader should understand the connection of uh, the rise of Asia. Right. It, it was for me, it became playing in my mind to say, look, what, what you're adding to the table right now 
if you think your story of I want to be the first generation of immigrant minister is a good story, you're wrong. Yeah. You're going to burn too quickly, man. Yeah. So you need you need something a bit more consistent. You need a better experience. You need to be true to yourself. Right. And you need to go and 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 life is too short just for you know positions and, and politics. Exactly. So that's that's what started in my mind at 26 years old. And I was okay. Canada's a big country. There's except for Quebec, everyone, everyone else speak English. Move number one, move to Toronto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It it un coup de tête. Yeah. Un coup de tête. Yeah. Pas trop réfléchi, pas trop réfléchi. I believed in myself. I had five thousand dollars savings. I said, you know what? I'm gonna go in Toronto and I'm sure I'm gonna find something. I didn't know I forgot that you had gone to Toronto. I thought you went straight to uh, Asia. No, two years in Toronto before moving to Singapore. Okay, 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 okay. Two years. Yep. And what did you do? You just studied English there? No, I went and find a job in a small firm doing merger and acquisition. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so when I moved to, to Toronto, I said, okay, I have the public experience, public as work in the government. I needed the private uh, dimension. And I wanted, since I was in Toronto, I was at the in the economic heart of the country. Right. For me, it was a no-brainer. I wanted to, to learn from Bay Streets. I wanted to understand how economy works. I wanted to understand how businesses work. So I, I kind of uh, put my CV in different uh, recruitment firms. And honestly, it was a very simple job. Basically, this firm needed a French guy to uh, help them. So they, they were, uh, it's, a, it's an M&A business. So they support big companies that are uh, acquiring smaller ones. So they were mainly operating in telecommunication and mining. Mm -hmm. So uh, for example, back then, uh, I don't know if you remember the company Rogers. I, I, don't, I don't know if they exist. They, do they exist? In the telecommunications company. Yeah, well, yeah. Of course it exists. It's one of the biggest ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, so Rogers back then, I think I worked on an operation where Rogers uh, purchased a small company in Quebec. I don't remember if it was Fido or uh, I, I, I really don't yeah, remember. Rogers, the details. Yeah, Rogers, Rogers merged with Fido or they bought them out. Yeah. Or they bought them out. Or, yeah. yeah. So, so I remember working on that. So they needed they needed a guy who... Uh, I was so lucky who, who knew a little bit Quebec to help them with these uh, relationships. So for me, it was integrating uh, a fully English firm, but they needed the French guy. Right, right, right. So that, that's, that's how basically my, uh, my little journey in Toronto. You know, and, and I just want to mention something small also. Back then also, I, 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 I think I got influenced by Jack Dupy. You know, you remember he used to write. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a biker. So, yeah. He's a biker. Yeah. So so first thing I've done when I moved to Toronto is I bought a scooter. <laughs> I said to myself, I'm, I'm gonna get a scooter. It's a big difference, a scooter and a Harley. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's in the city, right? So my yeah, mom yeah. never wanted me to to get a to get a bicycle, um uh, a, a bike or yeah. a scooter. And so I, I I wanted to liberate myself from all those. You know, you know our family or social. Yeah, yeah, all the things that you could not do and you don't understand why. Why can I not do exactly. that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so first thing, I got a small little little room in in Bathurst and uh, Bathurst and uh, Bloor. Uh, I don't know if you know Toronto. Not I, so I, well. I've been there a couple of times, but yeah. I lived in the annex, which is a beautiful, uh, I think, mainly Jewish neighborhood. Super amazing. Uh, yeah, a lot of library, a lot of brunch places. Nice. Very, uh, very more royal, like yeah. very bobo, uh, yeah. you know, bobo style. So, so I, I rented a small room and I got my scooter. <laughs> <laughs> and I was waking up every morning, 7 a.m. weekdays to go and find a job. Right. And I found my job within two weeks. Yeah. So after two weeks, I moved to a better place. <laughs> so, and this is how life is. Yeah. You know, you kind of accept to start from the, from whatever. From the and bottom. You, and yeah. From the bottom. And yeah, I had a lot of friends come and see me exactly with your reaction, George. How the hell you left the minister cabinet and you come and live in this room? But you know what the thing is, Elias? I'll tell you one thing. The people that you were surrounded with. Uh, and you know, I, I'm not going to say anything bad about them. I mean, they're 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 great people. But 
don't forget that their mentality, they were like you were and like I was, uh, like just dipped into the political reality. That's what it was. It, so anything that you did that wasn't that, that ecosystem, it's beyond any comprehension. It's like, what, what are you talking about? But you're working for a minister. And how many people within that ecosystem dreamed of having that job? And then you're leaving it to go ride a scooter in like a small apartment. And like for them, it made no sense. Right. Uh, and I, and I understand that because when, you know, and I, I still deal with the, the party and I'm still pretty involved in stuff here, but, and, and I still see it. And it's good to see that there's youngsters involved and they're looking ahead and they're a little bit dreamy and they're like, oh, I wish one day I could be the chief of staff or I wish one day I can just be in charge of the communications or in the cabinet or, and it's good to have that dream. But it's like, it's, it's exactly what you said. There's a whole other planet outside of this little ecosystem and if you think about it you know politics in quebec it's like the minor leagues like when you compare it to like the us <laughs> or even canada or anywhere like russia europe uh you know asia north africa like we're we're we're, we're the minors not even it's like little league you know that's how small we are over here right uh so uh, i i can understand them freaking out saying what the hell are you doing man <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't understand you young people who just dream about position. It it's it's so wrong, and this is how burnout happens. And yeah. that's my experience, right? I, I don't think I I I have the monopoly of truth, but I I believe from 20 to 29 years old is it just an accumulation of experiences. Yeah, that's what you should aim for. From 30 to 35. Get closer to you know to someone, just to get that you know super uh, expertise or, or or be good for one or two or three things, yeah. And you know focus on those, and then at forty you just enjoy that learnings and and you be the best version of a man is forty to fifty five I think yeah yeah and and then you start giving back. Uh, but the, the, anyway, that's how I kind of defined without really planning, but that's how I said, okay, that's how my journey wanted. And believe it or not, George, the moment I liberated myself from those bubbles of politics. How good did it feel? No, how good the journey became. Yeah. Yeah. Toronto was 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 a risk and 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 a massive kind of i went into the unknown it's also the language barrier too right i mean you said that you spoke Buddy, not you, one I, word I of to, english and you go into the heart to, of Anglo canada i used to take the tramway okay. on you know we say spadina right i used to go inside on in the tramway and i say to the guy i want to stop in spadina he was he was like what <laughs> says spadina i said Spadina. So this is how bad I was. Um, so so yeah, no, but but that that the moment I took my courage and I said, I'm gonna jump, everything beautiful happened to me. Yeah. From what I lived in Toronto, because that firm gave me an amazing experience into the world of uh merger and acquisition, but also the people that I met a little bit later on that took me to the next journey, which wasn't Singapore man. Yeah, how, how the hell <laughs> how does that happen? How does that happen? Tell me, tell me what happened there. But there is a connection to politics because I never really disconnected in a sense of I I kept few relationships uh of politics. So when the Liberal Party of Canada used to organize uh small events, I still got involved with the PLC in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So uh and the International Economic Forums uh, of America, who, who became partner of WISE uh, with uh, Nicolas Rimiard, mm -hmm. used to also organize events in Toronto. So I was still the young guy who get invited to populate tables. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> one of those dinners, one of the main speaker was Dominic Barton, the ex, uh, the, the actually the former. Uh, ambassador of Canada and China, but before that, he was the uh, uh, I think general manager of McKinsey and mm -hmm. Company, the consulting uh, yeah. firm. Yeah, 
And he did he did a spe- a 10 minute presentation. Not kidding you. 10 minutes conversation who basically he blew my world. Mm-hmm. And I think he he kind of even the audience was quite impressive. Basically, they and we're here we are in we're talking about 14 years ago. So we're looking at 28, mm-hmm. 29. He was talking about the rise of uh China and Asia. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> he was saying, like, nobody people don't understand what's happening there. And he was talking about how they manage water, how they, you know, how they they are progressing in, in creation of technology and so far. And I was, I need to talk to this guy. I don't care. I have to talk to him. I had no idea what to say. I said, I have to speak with him. He finished his presentation. Uh, A lot of people were, went to the stage to, to to try to get a second or a minute with him or a photo or, and I was just a little guy behind this kind of crew. And I saw uh, I think I, back then it was CBC or Canada in Television National yeah. trying to get him out because he had an interview. Right. And they couldn't get him out. So I don't know what happened. I go in the middle of the crowd. I get in close to Mr. Barton. I say, Mr. Barton, uh, we're late. We have a TV interview. <laughs> so the TV interview, they thought I was with him, part of his. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And he thought I was part of CBC television. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so we get out of that crowd. We start walking. Obviously, it gets awkward. He looked at me and he said, so what do you want? You're not with the TV. I said, no, I'm not. I I loved your presentation. I would love to work with someone like you. Uh, what what it needed, what it takes to 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 get you know my CV up to your table, your your office. And he said, okay, give me, let me, let's, let's chat. Let me finish this interview and I'll get back to you. Buddy, that was the the next seven minutes conversation with him changed my life forever. Yeah. What happened? What did you tell him? What did, what did you guys discuss? After the interview, he, he, obviously I stayed very visible yeah. for, for him not to change his mind yeah, exactly. and just disappear <laughs> literally, way, literally behind the camera <laughs> i see just to mention he is a very very humble probably first of all probably one of the most intelligent men i've met plus all the beautiful you know things related to humility to to just you know on you you know when someone really is genuine yeah, you kind of feel that emotion, right? So he walks back from his interview. He tells me, "I don't have a lot of time." He did this with his watch. Uh, what do you want? I said, "Look, it's very simple. I'm 27 years old. I have experience in public and private, uh, you know, uh, field. I would love to work with you know someone like you one day. What, what do you what do you what do you need?" He said, you need, so I told him I'm, I'm background, I'm, I'm Arabic background. I was born in Tunis, grew up in Canada. So I, I, I gave him that, you know, that French, English, Arabic, right. uh, international kind of dimension. And he said, okay, what do you need to add now is you need to understand what's happening in Asia. You need to understand what's happening in China. That's how, that's how leaders are going to be in the next, you know, this is the kind of leadership we need in, in the future. And, and I was, and then he said, don't do an MBA. There's so many MBAs. We don't know what to do with them. Do something in economics. Go to China. Go to Tsinghua University. Or and then he he kind of do this and he said, oh, by the way, there is an amazing school in Singapore. It was created. Uh, it's it was kind of a partnership with the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. It's called the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. That should be your number one. They're very hard to get. Uh, it's very hard to get in. But if you get accepted. That should be your number one option. Wow. If not, get accepted in good university in China. So obviously, I go back home. I kind of Google what the hell is going on. He already, for me, it was a revelation. And I'm not kidding you, George. The moment I left, the moment I left that, uh, it became seven-minute conversation as far as I remember. 
it was, you know, when your your mind, and I've never left, I've felt this emotion before or even after. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of missing that emotion of your mind is buzzing with sparks yeah. and you're just like, I need to get what's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. What's going on? So searching Lee Kuan Yew, uh, I discover a whole new world. I kind of started reading about Singapore. Uh, I didn't know back then. I mean, we all know Singapore back then just by whatever we hear. Geographically, yeah. You're like, yeah, I know where Singapore is. Yeah. Never, you know, never knew that it's an exceptional place. We we don't know all this, right? (coughs) Right. (coughs) So So I start reading about the application process, and it's indeed very tough to get in. They only accept 60 students from around the world. Anyways, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get in. (laughs) I don't care. I'm going to get in. And that's where the experience in politics and the cabinet minister helped me a lot because I never had great grades at school. I was a good average student, you know, 3.6 uh, GPA, not, nothing, you know, nothing uh, wow, but good average, more a bit more than the average. But I think they loved my experience and the story that I told them and the letter of reference that I managed to get from high senior level uh, of government. Uh, you know, two ministers, I think, back then and and uh, two other people, one academic and one private. So, so I, I kind of managed to put a solid, solid uh, dossier and uh, and I got accepted, and 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 that was that was that was a I don't know how to describe it, George. That was it, amazing. It's not enough. It 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 was just. But it's a big move, me. right? Because think about it: moving from Montreal to Toronto is it, it's fine. I mean, it's a little bit of a distance, but at least you're 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 within reach, you know. Yeah. Now, you're, now you're boarding a plane and you're going on a completely different continent in a completely different country that you don't know. You've never been in. You don't know what to expect. Uh, you have no idea what things are like, uh, how the politics are, how social, uh, how socially things are, um, uh, are advancing and, uh, and evolving. You have no idea. So it's like this really the unknown. I'm driven by the unknown somehow. I'm I'm getting used to it by now. But first of all, I'm coming from a background of family who left Tunisia, not because of political, not because of any problems. My dad thought that, my dad and mom thought that they can give us a better life in Canada. So it was just a kind of a natural, organic way of thinking, okay, how to make my life and my kids' life better elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. And that's how human are, by the way. I mean, yeah. human moves around because they're looking for a better opportunity for all. Yeah. For them. At least when you act on your on your dreams or the condition yeah. that you know push you to to uh, you, you do have a lot of people, even in Greece or Tunis, or they they, they do dream about leaving, but they don't because they're comfortable or, or they yeah. have the family. Yeah, yeah. But, but generally speaking, we're driven by okay, where should I go to make my life better? I think I got that in my mind, and I honestly speaking, something I want to mention here, I knew that I was privileged to be Canadian. Yeah. Because the world is not as global as what we believe, my friend. Right. With my Tunisian passport, I wouldn't have gone to Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> as Canadian, I can go to the I can go anywhere in the world. Yeah. Worst case, ask for a visa in some countries, but most yeah. countries accept you on visa on arrival. That's right. That is that is a massive privilege that people don't we don't think about it. Don't value. <laughs> They don't value the... Forget the, about the, value. You don't even know it's there. You think it's a given right. It's like, oh, I'll just travel. It's not a problem. Yeah, you don't You don't think how difficult it is for some other countries to, to travel around the world. And, and I got, I think, I kind of measured all the privilege that I have. And I said, I'll be either stupid or, or ignorant to miss those things that are, that are, easier for me to achieve right nice. and i became harder on myself by the way because you 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 it it takes courage i could have stayed in this mna company and i would have you know toronto we financially speaking you do better right for sure yeah and, and toronto is a meritocracy place you work hard you get up yeah yeah 
Yeah. I felt yeah. something is missing. The same emotion that I had in Quebec, right. in Montreal, when I was in a cabinet, I felt something was missing. I felt something was missing when I was in Toronto. And that moment with Dominic Barton opened up a, a hell of a new world. Yeah. So then, okay, so let's talk about WISE. This is where you work now. Um, you're, you're pioneers in the education department. How does that connection happen from Singapore to WISE? How does, <clears throat> and, and then we're going to talk a little bit about WISE because it's super interesting what you guys are doing. We, I, I met uh, my current uh, boss at Singapore. Okay. So he was, uh, he was the number two of Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. He uh, and apparently he was one of the member committee member that pushed my candidacy to be accepted at the Lee Kuan Yew. So when I when I got in, um, funny story. He, he's from Cyprus. He thought uh, my name is Elias. He thought I was Greek. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so he called me in. He got disappointed. Oh, you're Tunisian. You're not Greek. Okay, we got we're gonna become friends. No problem. <laughs> so we I became friends with Stavros. His name is Stavros. Uh, he's still he's still my uh, my best friend uh, in, uh, in not in, he lives in Doha, but he, yeah. he's obviously my boss, my mentor, uh, my best friend. He, he's been. It's been a blessing for me to to meet this person, and and uh, he he changed my life again to give me this opportunity to be his chief of staff, to run uh, what became uh, the I, I believe the one of the most influential platform that promotes innovation in education globally. Mm-hmm. So he he was asked by the Qatar Foundation to uh, to run uh, Wise, which is the World Innovation Summit for Education. It got inspired by uh, Davos in a way. They wanted the Qatar Foundation wanted to create it a Davos of education. Okay, we felt that we talk a little bit too much about economy, but the, really the backbone of any development, any successful nation is education. So why, and we don't talk enough about education. And if you think about it, the only really sector that haven't innovated, it's education. Right. If you do a comparison between health and education, if you, if, if health would have stayed similar to education, it would have been a big trouble, man. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So education haven't evolved because of, you know, because of it's, it's very much related to culture. It, it's very taboo. They don't want to, they don't want to do any changes that risk, you know, a negative uh, outcome. So it, it, it's hard, right? So we were tasked then, he was tasked to, 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 to basically create this, uh, this platform. And we, I joined him the, in his, uh, after eight months. And we just, we were just dealing with a bunch of consulting. Uh, we had to create the team. We had to create the programs. We have to st- structure the whole thing. So in a way, I was lucky to 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 this whole journey of Montreal, Toronto, Singapore. You know, th- this is where I told you when you when you liberate yourself from all these chains of you know and the planning, beautiful things happen to you. Sure. Um, yeah. So I've been doing this for nine years. So, we, so okay. So, tell me a little bit because when you're talking about consulting, what's the mission here? The mission is to obviously this is uh, on a global scale. Um, the idea through these conferences is to influence change at, at a government level and obviously at a private one because not all schools are are, are government uh, are public. Uh, I'm I'm assuming that's pretty much the main objective, and through that you're 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 getting partnerships in order to fund programs. Um, what are these what are these conferences like what what do you what do you what do you teach what do you expose so so just to clarify we're not a lobby uh uh platform and we're not consulting we're this is not at all our mandate our mandate is really to promote innovation and education so how do we do this we do this through three pillars uh most people see the events the summits the forums we organize but that's only 30% of the job Really, the job is a platform. So what do we mean by platform? We have three pillars. The first pillar is programs. The second is research. The third is advocacy. In the pillar of programs, we created things that 
exist elsewhere, but they didn't exist in education. So the first program we kind of uh, created is um, is a, an equivalent of a Nobel Prize for education. Mm. There's no Nobel Prize of education. We created something similar. We emulated the thing. We Look, we, we did not invent the wheel. We took what exists and working well. We just and you took it, it. Yeah. and adapted to our reality. So we have the Wise Prize for Education Laureate, which is very prestigious, half a million dollar for for an incredible uh, journey, obviously, a person who dedicated his life uh, for uh, education. So you can, uh, the last uh, laureate is Wendy Kopp. She's the founder of Teach for All. Um, the one before uh, is uh, a, 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 an Afghan lady. Her, her name is Sakina Yakubi. Basically, because of her training centers across Afghanistan, she managed to get 12 million girls over over a period of 25 years access to a certain education to create their businesses. So you're looking at you're you're working with exceptional people who did at scale impact. Right, right. So we try to recognize them. This recognition obviously gives them half a million dollars. So that's that's a that's a that's a serious amount of money to mm-hmm. most of the case. They don't take it personally. They reinject it in their uh, initiative, uh, but obviously it gives them also a massive global public relation. So that's give them uh, visibility. That gives them uh, opportunity to 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 grow partnerships and and to also protect themselves even sometimes from their own government right because right, right. you become a a, a, a global yeah, you become uh, a global figure yeah yeah <coughs> then we have um other programs such as the awards these are inspired directly by the oscars we kind of give six uh awards it's about twenty thousand dollars each uh, awards the idea is not only the money the idea is really to recognize very impactful project uh, folks who are working in their communities. So I give you an example in Bangladesh. Uh, you have uh, you have a flooding season. Uh, schools shut down. There's a group of young people who created a boat that goes to the affected, uh, flooded uh, villages, and that boat became a, uh, a mobile uh, uh, school. Cool. Yeah. So, so we recognize these projects. Uh, and that uh, awards give them again the visibility, the the extra um, recognition. That small amount of money, obviously, but most cases when they go through these, when they when they win one of these uh, prizes, they 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 kind of expand or they grow or they scale because we have a massive. We have about fifty thousand people in our community, and we're talking about active members, right? Um, six years ago, we created the accelerator, which is which looks uh, into the education technology sector at tech. So we bring on board five to six companies per year. These are for-profit, um, you know, MVP level companies who've been running at least two, three years in the market, and they need the extra push to go to the next level, right? Mm-hmm. So they come to our uh, accelerator. We're again. We learned from the Y Combinator, or we, we, we kind of we we partnership with, with some big uh, accelerators just to understand how mechanics works. Mm-hmm. But then we can house it uh, to to do it with our community, with our experts. <coughs> so the accelerator is an amazing program because you take four founders or five founders with us on a on a one year uh, basis. We uh, create for them boot camps. Uh, we match them with mentors, with with experts, and uh, the idea at the end is to pitch and raise money. And mo- in, in most cases, on average, uh, they raise between one to five million. Out of four, 40 companies now we worked with, only two have dropped out of the market. Most of them have been raising money and growing. And now the pandemic have accelerated mm-hmm. the need of EdTech. Right. Basically, EdTech is no longer, you know, it's no longer... Uh, bien avoir or or, or a, on a peripheric, it's more okay. How do we integrate more ed tech into our schools, into our system, yeah. into our infrastructure? Right. So it, it's a super fascinating. I'm 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 more and more and more involved in ed tech. Um, I've been uh, I've been running now this track on ed tech and test beds. So we test these solution within an ecosystem of schools here in Qatar and uh, and elsewhere. So it, 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 it's kind of um, trying to 
have a, a live research action where we try to study these solution or directly with the teacher or with the student to see, okay, what is working, what is not working and back it with us, you know, with a solid research mm-hmm. to say, okay, this is how, you know, it should be implemented at scale. Uh, so that's pretty much. So what, so what kind of results are you getting? Um, I was going to ask you that, like what kind of impact does it have? Uh, not only in the way that teachers now are, you know, their job is has already started to change, right? I mean, it's not your traditional teacher uh, in front of a blackboard uh, t- teaching stuff that you know, you know, we've been seeing for generations. I mean, everything is everything is transforming. But in those places and in those schools and in those communities that you're involved, what kind of change have you noticed? How how, how has it impacted even the students, the teaching personnel, the communities? You know, the the, the you know at large. I think, first of all, I think we managed to bring back education to the forefront conversation. I mean, no government now. I mean, if you talk to any government, except now with the pandemic, health is is, is quite the the, the big issue. Mm -hmm. All of them are concerned about the way we learn. All of them are concerned because one is education right now. So, So for me, education should be two things. One is just to help us become better citizens. Second, why not help the generation to get the right skills and to be to find their best uh, skills to help them find you know at least something rela- related to the market. Right. So, and right now education fails, and I'm talking. I'm not talking about you know successful cases. I'm talking about this generally speaking, out of worldwide, we're failing, man. We're yeah. failing miserably. Yeah. I mean, we do have beautiful stories. We look, we because I told you we've been discussing this on my other podcast that I have with uh, the, these two other buddies, um, and we talk a lot about education because we all have kids and they're in the they're in the system now, and we're always questioning, is this the right way to educate kids? And uh, you know, we have even you probably have stories and you know people that you knew that back in the day when they were in elementary or high school. They were like the worst student. Even teachers will tell them you're you're not going to amount to anything. Uh, you knew that because of the way that we've been programmed. It's like you're not doing well in school. You're going to be a bum when you grow up, kind of thing, right? And how many now, like 20 years later, you know, after school is done with, and you look at all these people that were not so good and they were always last in class or they were failing or whatever, they are super successful because something triggered in them and they found something that they were passionate about and they just reversed engineered the whole thing. They're like, you know what? Fuck education. Maybe it's not for me. Uh, This is what I'm interested in. Let me put all my energy into this kind of avenue. And it worked. Um, So I'm just wondering if, you know, slowly, slowly education needs to change so that we don't adapt the principles that we've been teaching for decades now, but to kind of do it more individual on a more individual basis, the interests of the kids. Yeah. So, so we're getting into the personalized type of uh, learning and, uh, and, and, and teaching. So I just want to make a point. So, so we have to be careful that when we analyze these things, not to take only, you know, extreme at both sides right. because you also have stories of very nerdy that students are successful as well yeah who are not successful at all not successful, <laughs> yeah yeah of course absolutely you know, so, so you, you so these are I, I think there's no way we could scientifically explain why a bad student becomes successful and why a good student become unsuccessful. I think it happens, right? Yeah, what, yeah. what what is what is very important for at least for me today as someone who who, who is contributing to to the to the advancement of uh of of you know the way we of education and the way we, we teach, we learn and everything is to look at this from a from a higher level and to say okay how many talent we're missing how many talent we're losing in the world that if you give them an opportunity to educate themselves could do much better for, for themselves and for the world. So, and we're losing a lot. Uh, what is important today, and that's where the hard things come. Do we really need to have, you know, if you look at primary or secondary, do we still need to have homogenic classes where six years old are with six years old? At, you know, you, you could have someone super smart in math, 
It could be in, you know, a higher level, but, you know, when, when do we rethink the whole experience of, uh, of, of teaching uh, STEM or teaching uh, alf- alphabetization yeah. or even social, social emotional, which is becoming more and more important and how much personalized, personalized uh, education should be uh, to 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 you know to have uh to follow those management you know there's a lot of system now you you could you could have management uh of student you know doing their homework uh at school but also how they take these homework with them to 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 their home and 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 see the way they even study if it's the right way or not so we have those technologies the problem right now is the administration and and i guess to some extent teacher is are very hesitant first of all because they're super loaded right now teachers mm-hmm. so we need to start with them <coughs> government around the world need to invest massively in retraining the the teacher that's number one yeah because it's all start with them mm-hmm. at any level if you still have overloaded not super well trained then that's going to affect your kids. Yeah. Right. That was my next question. I mean, how uh, how much progress have you made to, because uh, you're talking, I mean, you said that you're not a lobby group and I, and I get that the purpose, but there is uh, a branch where you do advocacy, where you try to get the message through, especially to the governments that maybe what we've been uh, teaching or maybe the way that the school system has been working for all these decades needs to be changed. Maybe it needs to be modernized. I mean, there is a role that you have over there, which is, I'm sure, the purpose behind all these conferences to invite all these people of influence that have the potential to make these changes. Where are you on that front? Are you making any progress in getting that message through to the decision makers? Absolutely. I, I, I can cite two examples they're not related completely to our work, but two examples that shows the, the transformation of their cities just because they invested better in education. So you can take uh, Kigali, Rwanda. If, if, when you think about Rwanda, you, maybe you don't think about the, the, the... Rwanda is doing extremely well. Why? Because these guys 10 years ago decided to invest massively in education and they keep, we work a lot with them through the MasterCard Foundation on, you know, they're hungry to, to learn what's the, 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 the latest innovation, what's, and they go back and test it and, and it's working. The other example is the city of Medellin in Colombia. The city of Medellin, you're looking at a city where 20 years ago, it was the most a violent city in the world. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most innovative city in the world today. And if you look at the the the, the education system, you can see the, the 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 why there's a progress and why there's a transformation. So we do have some live and and our role as a platform wise, we love to take these successful stories and try to you know simplify their um, their uh, recipe. To, to share to the world. That's what we do in a way. We're like Davos, right? We, we, we don't invent anything. What we do is we provide this platform either through the program or through the research we do or through the events we organize to say, okay, look, there's something quite unique happening in Medellin. You know, I know the mayors of Medellin. I know the, the guys behind Ruta, Ruta M, which is, which is, uh, they created uh, Ruta and they, it, it's it's in the heart of the city. It's basically everything regarding tech sits at Ruta N. You know, it's like an incubator plus plus mm-hmm. <coughs> where they test the latest technology, where they tested the latest innovation, and then it goes mainstream. Right. So we try to bring these amazing stories to the community, people who are following us, and uh, to the events we organize in different cities in the world to say, look. There are things that, you know, could seem impossible. <laughs> you know, how you, how you move from a violent city to a transformative city. Right. Here we go. You have, you have. But see, you mentioned. How you go from a, from a country of genocide to a country of innovation. Right. 
Here we go. But here's the interesting thing that I want to know, because you're mentioning countries that have this thirst to transform, right? You're mentioning Bangladesh that deals with natural causes every year. You're talking about Rwanda that has dealt with internal uh, political and even warfare. Uh, you mentioned the genocide as well. So these are countries that are looking to transform from within, right? Uh, Colombia as well. Where are we with the bigger countries that are considered way more advanced than the rest like the g7 countries how 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 is this kind of uh, technology or this kind of method uh impacted in those communities in those societies that are supposedly more advanced <laughs> i'll start with the united states i think it's it's the biggest country with the biggest paradox but generally speaking in the last 10 years there has been massive cuts uh so they they, they haven't been investing in education we see the result today The, the, what's happening in the U.S. is a result of discontinuing investment in public education. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a paradox when I start by, by mentioning the United States. It's a paradox because you still have the best innovation coming out of the state, even in EdTech. Right. Yeah. You still have the best you know, method coming out of the state. However, what's happening at the nation level, it's straight an equation of disinvestment in education. Right. As simple as that. Now, Canada is still doing not bad. Toronto is still an example. I mean, to, uh, Ontario, sorry. The province of Ontario is cited amongst the best, amongst Singaporean and, and uh, fin Finnish countries in terms of methodology. Quebec is less so. I mean, there's still a lot of issues in Quebec to, to, mo to, to modify, you know, the way we learn and, and, and you know, test new innovation and, and integrate more. Why, why, why do you think we're so behind in Quebec? And I'm saying Quebec because, I mean, this is where it is. I mean, most of our this listeners are located here. I don't, I don't know, mate. It, it's, 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 uh, I, again, I think... I when I, when I come in and and uh, define education, it goes to the core of the culture. It goes to the core of how people are. And as a French minister said, once education is like a mammoth, you know, it's 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 not it's not easy to reform it because of that very strong link to cultural right. uh, aspect of. Uh, and when it comes to cultural aspect, I think Quebecers are. Um, I, I believe very protective. So, so it, it, it's very hard for them to think about making any change that could lead to an about to bad outcome, or to to an outcome that you know they might lose the next generation on their way of thinking. Was a, yeah, the, a couple of years ago there was a pilot project that had started here, and I remember because it was uh, the school commissioner in the district that I worked in that um, that was well, he wasn't behind it, but he was pushing so that we can get these kind of schools. Uh, in our uh, district and they're alternative schools. So basically uh, it breaks the mold of the traditional way that kids are educated. Classrooms are, uh, are built differently. Uh, kids aren't necessarily stuck on one desk for the whole day. They have different kind of workshops. Uh, they look at the kids' strengths and they kind of realign them with, depending on their interests. So it was like this really, back in the day when he was saying it, it was like really forward-thinking way of uh, um, uh, transforming the education system. And I do know uh, in the last couple of years that they started, I think, maybe less than 10 schools all over the province to test it and see how things uh, evolve. And I think it's a, I think it's a good idea because, and you know, these things you realize once you become a parent, right? Where you you really don't, yeah. you know, once you're done with school, you forget it, you erase it. You're like, it's yeah. done. My life yeah. starts now. Right. Yeah. But then you get yeah. kids and you're like, what are they teaching them? Well, hold on a second. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And you start getting more and more curious yeah. about how things work. Yeah. No, no, these are good example of, you know, you, you still have, I, 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 I lost in touch a little bit with with the system in, in Quebec I don't know how much it is driven by by you know by the Ministry of Education versus Commission scolaire and all that yeah, yeah. what what you need to have a bit of a decentralized model for folks to you know try different things and and then you need that central model where you when things the the, the, the most important aspect is when you have something that is working, at you know on a, on a space and 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 period of time it's a crime not to not to scale it elsewhere yeah. so, and this is where a decentralized versus centralized model could be it's a partnership between both 
could you know let people because you need it's like creativity you need to make few mistakes to get to the product to the good product right. of creativity right so just to close on the g7 countries europe is doing really well with 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 uh, with with education reform and rethinking education in terms of investment in edtech their um numbers are in the you know 10 of billions of dollars of investment just the last two years so there is a massive awakening in europe at least in france germany you know, rich European countries on how do we uh, how do we rethink the learning experience for 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 K twelve. Right. So, so I think it's a, rich countries are in a good shape. The the, the 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 thing that I worry most is that the gap is just gonna increase between rich and, and poor countries, uh, and and this is where. We're gonna get into even bigger geopolitical problem if you if you if you don't you know work on 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 uh, on that gap. Uh, but yeah, it, it, people forget that edu- good education is much better economy in ten years. All people right. forget that uh, good education is uh, you know peace in ten years. It, 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 this is where we just need to forget the quick wins and the fast track especially from politicians, because politicians are only looking for quick wins and fast track. Mm -hmm. So they need to, at least for education, they need to find a, it's like a jubilé le mot en français, you know, when you put things in this thing, we all agree that we don't touch it, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. or or, or we all agree that it has to be a 10 years program and we cannot change it, the strategy every two years because we're going to lose time uh, and we're going to lose generation time. So, Let's wrap it up, man. I've had you for a while. Um, what's um, what's next? What are you guys working on now? Um, you know, what what, uh, what are we looking forward to now in terms of wise and hopefully this whole pandemic thing will end soon. Uh, at least I hope. Uh, but what's in the what's in the books? What's uh, what's uh, being prepared now? So I I'm myself much more involved in ed tech. I I try to understand how this could you know help. Obviously, I talked about the gap, but also inclusion, quality. So I'm much, much more involved in EdTech at multiple dimensions, the dimension of, you know, just looking for the right companies, but also the dimension of helping them scale and and, and raise funds. Uh, uh, I uh, personally try to put a little bit of time to support what's happening in Tunisia. It's a country that, you know, going through a lot and, and trying to give a little bit of my time to, you know, support folks in, in the field of education here. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I think the world is in a kind of wait and see mode. We, uh, I'm, I'm reading a, a quite an amazing book that I recommend you and the, the, the audience that are listening to us. Do you know Ray Dalio? No, I don't. So Ray Dalio is, a, is, a, is an investor. He's a, he's a value investor. Um, he wrote a book called Principle, and uh, that was, uh, I think, a decade ago. And, and recently, last year, a couple of months ago, actually, he, he wrote a second book called Principle for uh, to live in, uh, in, a, in a changing world, something like that. And um, I'm reading it, and it's just fantastic because he, he analyzed the world from a, a helicopter view of 500 years. And he just realized that our life is a cycle. So the beauty of the book, he describes how cycles work. And and where we are today and where we're getting in the next, you know, uh, five to 10 years. And he described that because we, so we're we're not obviously in in a good shape in this in this uh, yes. cycle, right? So, so the, the the peak of the cycle was probably in the 70, 80, when uh, when the Second World War happened, and uh, United States won. Obviously, in forty five, they established uh, the UN in New York. They established the uh, the uh, uh, FME in in uh, in Washington, and and a new world order have been created, right? And then you have the best years for humanity from 50 to almost beginning of 2000. And now we see that the West is declining, 
but China is going up. Mm-hmm. So he explains why China is going up and why the West is declining. And it's related to education, one of the main one of the main kind of determinant of these cycles is how much you invest in education. And then from education, you have a whole set of determinants. So I, I recommend you to read it because I will. Yeah. we are in cycles. And he explained why Asia is going up and why the West is, is going a bit down. Interesting. Super interesting. So I'm, I'm kind of in a wait uh, and see mode. I have been reading uh, quite a lot because... Again, I, I, I do look forward for, for the next chapter. It's been nine years I do this. I, I, I do want to move to the next uh, level. But I'm, I'm like anyone else, mate. I'm, it's a wait and see. We, uh, I'm reading to get, to get ready when, uh, when all this, you know, come to an end. And, and uh, yeah. Dude, um, thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. Uh, really interesting things. Uh, really fascinating stuff that you're, that you're working on. I'm, uh, I'm very happy for you, man. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to see each other soon. I don't know. I don't know if you're planning on coming back here, but uh, we should. Three years haven't been back. You know, it's Canada's closed. It's so difficult to get in Canada yeah, now. That's what I'm saying. I hope these things will end soon so that we can <laughs> see some normal life again. Um, but I appreciate it, man. I hope uh, I hope all the best for you. And uh, I hope to see you really, really soon, dude. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much for for the opportunity and talking to you, mate. All the best. Take care, buddy.